Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to Battles. I'm your host, Marlon Anderson. This is a podcast all about journeys and overcoming adversity. I truly believe that every battle we face makes us stronger. And I want to hear from other people who believe that too. In this series, I'll speak to everyone from actors and entertainers to motivational speakers, life coaches and beyond. From those in the limelight to those of extraordinary stories that haven't been heard, all journeys are important. We'll hear about battles they have overcome and battles they are still fighting, learning how we get through them and asking how they can make us who we are today. We'll also be finding out our guests' battle cry, their mantra to get them through the dark days. Battles is a podcast for everyone because everyone has battles to face. I hope you find lots of help and advice in these episodes and feel strong knowing that you can get through it too. Today's episode is a chat with one of my closest friends, Mo. Mo is an absolutely inspiring woman who has overcome many personal battles, including postnatal depression, and has come out the other side as a devoted mother and wonderful friend. She uses her experiences to help others and project positivity for her channel Mo Mens, and I cannot wait for you all to feel inspired by her story like I've been. Before we start, I do want to let you know that this episode contains references throughout to child abuse, sexual abuse, self-harm and suicide. If you've been affected by these issues in the past, and please listen on with caution, or skip this episode and listen to one of the other episodes. I've put links to places where you can get support in the episode description, so please reach out if you've been affected. A massive thank you to Mo for giving up her time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Hi everyone and welcome to Battles. I'm Marlon Anderson and this is a podcast all about overcoming adversity. Today I have one of my closest friends, Moina Mensah, here with me, who is an extraordinary young lady, um, which I didn't know much about until recently. She is full of laughter, full of jokes, and is always the one that's making other people smile. But little did I know she has actually been through quite a lot. So Moina, how have you been? And thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. I've been all right, you know. I think I've just been, um, obviously, work preparing for lockdown um, yep. and just getting all my ducks in a row. It's my little man's birthday in a couple of days as well. So tell me more about what you do. What, what do you get up to? What do you do for work? Tuck me through it. What can I say? I'm a bit of a hooligan. No, I'm joking. All right. So um, <laughs> I have been in retail for almost a decade. Um, I've been in management for a while. I do that. Um, I am a full-time mum and I am also creative. Um, I draw, I design, I do logos and all that kind of thing for people on the side. That's a side hustle. But lately, you know, through quarantine, I've got into um, Instagram lives and hosting shows of any kind, just talking to people. And it's something that I do think I'm trying to pursue now. Um, with all the force You've got the voice for it, girl. Come on, man. You know, this voice is sexy, man. (laughs) You want to hear this every day. No, I'm joking. (laughs) So that's me. Amazing. Obviously, today we're going to be talking about your battles that you faced in your life. And honestly, I'm shocked with how much you've gone through. You're actually inspirational. 
Um, but we're going to be speaking about sexual abuse, rape, and um, also postnatal depression, mm. which is something that I relate to a lot. Yeah. So, Moina, talk to me about when your first battle started. What, where were the early signs? What happened? And yeah, where did it all begin? Um, I think it's safe to say the moment I started to physically develop, um, I already knew I was going to have problems. And at that time, I was in late primary school. So from the ages of, I would say, eight going, I already knew what it was like to be looked at in a sexual way. Which, so when you say physically developed, do you mean your breast size? Yeah, my, yeah. my breast in particular came through quite early. Now, when I think about it, my son is seven and to think I was similar to his age and I was already developing breasts, I, I think that's a lot. Um, but obviously it's natural. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't necessarily sheltered as a child. My parents were great. They were... Um, obviously, I come from an African background, yeah. um, but I was born and raised here. So it's not even a thing where I can say um, my parents were strict and I never got out. No, they let us out. They let us do what we needed to do, my brother and I, for instance. But um, I don't think maybe I was prepared enough for the advances that the opposite sex makes. Um, so when did you experience first the um, the advances from the opposite sex? When did that happen? I think the first time that I can truly, truly remember, I would have been in about year six, and there was um, my dad's friend. Um, he was a slimy character. Mm -hmm. You could tell right off the bat. Um, he would always just look at me and he would make comments on my how, if I was wearing a vest, for instance, he would make comments on my chest. Um, and I used to think that was really odd because I'm friends with your kids and I'm still a kid. And my dad raised me to be extremely vocal. So what were your initial feelings so around that? My, I don't think my response is normally is as normal as other people's. Mine would be like, what are you looking at? Yeah. I was I was rude. Uh -huh. I was very feisty. You still are. Uh, yeah, I still, I still <laughs> am. You know what I'm saying? I don't take no shit, man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, my dad definitely raised me to be able to stand up for myself. So the yeah. first time I noticed it, I knew it wasn't right. Yeah, right so you knew what right and wrong oh, was from that absolutely. yet then, Absolutely. Absolutely. Even though it hadn't been spoken about, I had such a strong moral compass in general. So the moment he looked at me like that, I was just thinking, what are you looking at? And then he quickly would just turn his eye. And, and was, like, was okay. this in London or was this in Ghana? This was in England. This is in England. Yeah, this okay. was in England. Um, this was in England. Ghana was a whole different ball game. Okay, so talk me through what happened after this. I mean... So after this and then what, going to Ghana? Yeah. So going to Ghana was for a cultural experience. My dad didn't want my brother and I to grow up here not knowing where we came from and being so, you know, westernised, as they like to say. Um, and Ghana in, in its entirety was an absolutely unbelievable experience apart from that one aspect. Um, I am going to make a general statement yeah. and say, particularly where I come from, I don't think they see age the way we do here. Yeah. Um, if a girl looks developed and she is well-spoken and she's somewhat independent, for them, they think it's okay to make advances towards wow. people like that. Okay. So the first time I was back home and I experienced it, I would get it from any and everywhere. Teachers, um, cab drivers, 
Um, you'd even get it from sick family members sometimes that might look at you in a kind of way and you can feel it on the inside. Sometimes you can't, you can't say anything. Lies. Right. Mm -hmm. You might not be able to vocalise it because they haven't technically done anything to you, but you can feel yourself being sexualised and undressed with someone's eyes. Um, How that make you feel? What Tell me about your feelings inside like that. Um, Did it make you feel almost dirty in a sense and that you shouldn't be having these large breasts and you shouldn't be looking like this. Did it make you feel that it was wrong? No, I never felt that. I that always, you should cover it, up, like even though you weren't no, probably... No, it's weird. I always just felt like they were sick. Yeah. I don't know why okay. I had that p mindset. And I know, again, like I feel like the way I looked at it wasn't necessarily how everybody else would look at it, especially when they're that age. But I looked at it as they are not okay. And I don't know what I may have watched over the years or what I'd seen, but something would have um, definitely helped my mindset. From right absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, being at school and getting it from teachers was odd. That was definitely um, when they would comment on my my breast size. I was like, what? The, what? I'm like, okay, all right. Again, I was very vocal, so I'm like, do you mind? Like, just leave me out of it. And I was also the biggest snitch. Like, if you're going to do so, I'm telling my mum and dad. I was never... So you did, so yeah, you spoke yeah, yeah, openly yeah, yeah. about it. What I'm... did your mum and dad say to you about that? Oh, to be fair to them, I never said anything about my experiences in Ghana in regards to that. I would talk about any other thing that was going on that I didn't think was right in regards to maybe whoever was looking after us in the house. I would be vocal on that. I never said anything about that because nothing at that point had happened yet. At that point? Yeah. So... When the first, so the first time um, it was uh, my best friend in Ghana, her older brother, obviously we're all friends, um, his friends, his friend had an older brother, an older, older brother. Um, and I'll never forget because his dad was a minister. Wow. Um, and oh shit, man, I'm putting him on blast. Anyway, I hope he hears this one day. Um, so yeah, so his dad was a minister. He would have been at least 20, maybe just a bit over 20. At the time, I would have been about 12 or 13. Now, obviously, being back home, you have an extreme amount of independence because it's safer there. So we roamed the streets a little bit more than what you would do here. I'd get a cab, I'd go wherever. Yeah. It was like that. So I remember there was one evening, I would have been 13. Yeah, there was one evening... Um, his older brother had taken an interest in me from school times. And I was flattered by it, as a young girl would be. And I used to get a lot of attention in school, one, because I was the English kid with the English accent, and then, obviously, for my big breasts as well. So yeah. I used to have the older boys always trying to talk to me, writing me love letters. I'll never forget. I used to get love letters from boys love that letters. were what way they, older. What did they used to say? Um, just, like, I want to look after you. I want to oh. be with you. And they knew your age. They knew my age because, you know, we're all in the same school. So, you know what? Yeah. yeah. I mean, at this point, some of those boys had even left our school. But I can see how you could be flattered at 13. You're a going through absolutely. those hormonal stages. You're becoming a teenager. Yeah. You're transitioning into becoming a woman. Your your period starts. Yeah. Your boobs are growing. Yeah. You're getting moody as hell. Absolutely. I thought I was the shit. Yeah, you I'll be, I'll be real with you. I did. I did. I you thought still I was think the you shit. are the shit. I right? definitely am the shit. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought, I really thought I was at the time. And because I had so much freedom physically to go where I wanted and I had financial freedom. Okay, yeah. Um, because when you take money from here and take it to Ghana, 
you know, it's a lot of money. So yeah. over there, we were probably classed as being very well off. So, so yeah, so I don't know how I, I even got into this situation where he ended up coming to my house and picking me up in his car. And um, I remember going to <laughs> somewhere called Sakumono Estates. Some people will know if they know in it. Um, <laughs> around the corner <laughs> to go and get some kebabs, which yeah. is big in Ghana. And um, we went, we got some food and then we were going, he was dropping me back home, but he dropped, he stopped on a side road. Now, everyone knows streetlights ain't a thing like that back home, depending mm. on what area you're in or how it's developing. We lived in a really nice area, but it was still developing. And we were on a back road. And I remember, the, f oh, for I mean, who does this? I mean, he could have done anything. He's, he stuck his tongue in my ear. Yeah. And um, of all the sexual things that I know happens, that was something I was unaware of. Because obviously at the time, I was sexually not experienced. I hadn't had sex. I hadn't had nothing. Yeah. So I was just thinking, wow, tongue and ear. Okay, this is new. I've not seen this in a movie. I've not seen this anywhere. But I knew it was wrong. Yeah. And I felt violated. Yeah straight away um so I was just like oh okay and I moved and I was like what are you doing and he was like nothing and I was like he was like come here I was like no I was like I just want to go home and he was like why and I was like no I just want to go home so he continued to touch my breasts and my Even legs though you made it clear that you wanted yeah, to leave that I wanted to leave mm. and then I was extremely assertive like take me home or I'm getting out of the car either way I'm going home so I remember him dropping me to the top of my road. I went home. I went and told my older cousin who lived with us what he had done. My older cousin was like, he bless him, may he rest in peace. He was, is about six foot four, five, massively built. He came charging out the house. Mm. By that time, he had already gone. Now, obviously, it would have been easy to find who he is because his dad was a minister. Everyone knows who he is. Yeah. Everyone knows where they live. Um but I didn't say anything at the time. I just wanted to forget about it and move past it. But that was my first sexual encounter that, um, yeah. So I'm intrigued by you saying, firstly, fucking sorry for you going through that. Yeah. But firstly, it's interesting you saying that you immediately wanted to forget about it and you wanted to put it to the back of your mind. Because yeah. when we experience trauma, the first thing that we want to do is fucking forget about it. Absolutely. And we want to pretend it's never happened and that we never experienced it, no matter what it is. Yeah. And it's funny how the human brain works, because in order to heal, you have to mm -hmm. let it out, be open about it, and speak about it. Absolutely. Because otherwise, it's going to be suppressed and it will come out at a later, at later life. Most definitely. When you're an adult. So do you think that this has affected you as an adult, this one incident? Because you're speaking to me bravely about it now, yeah. but I know that you haven't spoken about it much, mm -hmm. or if anything. Mm -hmm. Do you find as growing up with that in the back of your mind, have you thought about it? Has it come out in different ways? Has it affected any of your relationships? Has it affected the way you view men? Talk yep. to me through kind of that aspect of it. Yeah, it has. It manifests itself in such different ways. Yeah. Um, over the years, it's come out in relationships at times. So I remember, for instance, I couldn't at the time put my finger on what it was. I remember when I was with Isaiah's dad, we would go through periods where I just don't want to be touched. Sorry, just for those that Isaiah's your oh, son. Oh, Isaiah's my son, yeah. Um, I would go through um, points in our relationship where I just didn't want him to touch me at all. 
And it wouldn't be that he's done anything to me. It's not that he, I'm not still physically attracted to him. I just went through these cold, and it, I, I, I didn't know it had anything to do with that until later on when I started to slowly talk about it a bit more. And, and I realized that I had a very unhealthy relationship with sex in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that every single, every single time I've ever had sex, I feel horrible after. Talk to me about what you mean when you feel horrible. Are you talking so, guilt, shame? I felt shame. Yeah. I would feel guilt. A long t- for a long time, I didn't know whether it had to do, it had something to do with my, maybe my religious beliefs and the guilt came from yeah. that. I do feel like that played a part in it, but it, it was, I came to realise it wasn't that. I came to realise that my body had been violated yeah. and I just hadn't taken the time to respect what it had been through and to take time to heal truly mentally so every time i would have sex i would feel used after yeah but it didn't matter who it didn't matter if how much the person loves me that didn't even matter i just felt that way after every single every single time. time so when was the cutting point when you thought this isn't normal this isn't right i need to do something about it and and be true to myself and openly admit that this is a struggle that i've been facing and i need to start on this healing journey how um, did you find that kind of light within that Situation. I'll be real. <laughs> I never found that light. It, it, it's not something that I, I found. I feel like it was shoved in my face uh, last year. Yeah, I just hit a breaking point. I, d- I don't know where it stemmed from. I think I was overwhelmed with a lot of different things that were happening in my life at the time. Um, I, I don't know what that trigger was. All I know is that. Last year, April, like March, April, I just had a mental break and I had to face some of the some of the demons that I had locked away. Yeah. And a lot of it, for whatever reason, was targeted at my mum. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've struggled in our relationship over the years because of these things that had happened that some of them she didn't know and some things that she did know. Do you feel like you... I blamed her for any of this and there were lack there was lack of support but yeah. even though you didn't speak to her about it do you feel like there was a lot of that yeah because I know when I went through a few struggles I, I used to take a lot of things out of my my closest ones my yeah. family my mum took the brunt of everything I had yeah. Every, I never it's funny I never lashed out at anyone else but her and that's what I was fearful about in regards to even opening up now I was scared I'm well I am scared that yeah. I'm going to walk away from this, obviously opening Pandora's box, never being able to close it again after this and um, seeking the help that I need. But then I know I'm going to go through those phases again of pure anger. And it is always targeted at her. I just feel like in my mind, child me is like, where were you? Yeah. Because in my mind, my dad worked mm-hmm. and my mum was at home. So I'm like, what, 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 what were you doing? Where were you? But she was there. I came across as such a strong kind of child. I don't. I get it now. I didn't get it then. That she felt like I was always okay. It's because when you have that outer strength, and mm-hmm. I get this a lot, even to this day, people think that you're you're invincible and you're made of metal, mm-hmm. and that nothing can break you down because the, the outer version of ourselves seems unbreakable. Absolutely. But little do they know what's going on in our minds 
and our internal suffering when we're alone, when we're alone with our thoughts, our mind, and there's no, nothing else and nobody else around us. Yeah. And I think for you to be speaking about it and you use the term opening Pandora's box, I think to me, that's fucking brave, mm. but you're opening that box because there's a reason why it's being open now. Yeah. And I think that in order to progress with your healing, Mo, I think that the best thing for you is to open Pandora's box yeah. and to deal with whatever comes out of that box. I agree. And I think when we talk about trauma, I say it again, in order to go on this long ass journey of recovery and I love the word healing because it's such a beautiful Agreed. word to heal. It's just, it's just, it's an amazing journey. You need to do a lot of shadow work. Mm. And our shadow work that we do is that shadow that we're trying to, you know, step away from constantly. Mm -hmm. It's just behind us. Mm -hmm. But we need to step into the light mm. and we need to we need to do what's right for us. And I think whatever you whatever triggered you triggered you for a reason. Most definitely. Me and my mum had the most honest and open conversation that we had had in a long time. There was a wow. particular incident that I specifically blamed her for. Um and it's funny because my dad was in the house as well. But I felt like, so I we had a cousin that came to live with us. And at the time I'd come back from Ghana, I would have been about 16, 17, because I, I specifically remember being in college in, no, in sixth form, yeah. And I remember being in the canteen and telling the girls. So I would have been 16 going on 17, for sure. And he was older, um, he came to live with us. And how it even unraveled is crazy. So there was the one incident when I was in my brother's room. So he was sharing a room with my brother and I had my own room. I used to hate sleeping by myself because I was always scared of the dark. So I always used to sleep I with my brother. Too. Yeah, man. Still am. I don't know. I feel my imagination is too wild, man. Same. I can't be doing dark I'll hide like under uh, the covers mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Man can't do it. I need light. <laughs> <laughs> you are the light. Oh, why, thank you, girl. So are you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was... In my brother's room, I don't know where my brother would have been. He must have been downstairs doing something. And um, I was in and out of sleep when um, I heard him come into the room. So I just, I feel like I might have been pretending to sleep so that I would be left alone. Yeah. But then what ended happening ended up happening was he ended up touching me whilst I was lying there. So I initially froze because I was like... That's fight or flight. Right. And I always assumed I'm a fight kind of person yeah and i've been in certain scenarios and in others i haven't so that particular one i was just lying there and i just couldn't believe what was happening so i was so he was mm. take your time you know. yeah so he was touching my breasts and then going down to touch my vagina and I literally just did that thing where, you know, when you act like you're waking up and you're like, mm, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? And then I just left the room. So I kept that one to myself until one very fateful Sunday. I woke up. I went to have a sh I did laundry. I went to go and have a shower or the other way around. When I came out of the shower, I was like, oh, let me quickly do a laundry before I go to church. So as I emptied out the laundry basket, I found his phone in my laundry basket. And I thought, oh. What the fuck is this doing here? Didn't think anything of it. And I thought, so I quickly went, put the laundry in, went back to my room. And I was like, oh, let me go through his phone. Because who doesn't go through a phone when they find it? Mm. So I went through his phone. And when I went through his phone, and people want to tell me God is not real. What? <laughs> the videos of me in my room, naked, 
creaming myself. I had the routine. Every time, every morning, I wake up, have my shower. I go in my room. I put on, um, I used to put on Capital FM, the morning show. I'd be dancing around naked because I love being naked. That's my ish. And I'm in my room. So many videos. And he would, you could see him starting the recording, putting it in the laundry basket. What? And you can you see him place it and leave the room. <laughs> I tell you what, I've been through some things. That one was one of the most mind-fucking things I've been through, though. Because that one was... I, I just you, To comprehend that, that's there's nothing where your mind can be like, okay, there, there is nothing. I was lying. I took that video and I took it straight to my mum. So you see normally where people don't respond maybe like that. I took it straight to my mum. I was like, there's no fucking way. Yeah. I was like, I've been violated by this prick once. So I went to so my mum. Sorry, what was where was the gap between being violated by him and then you finding his phone? How long? Um, I would like to say it might have been a couple of weeks. And you said you kept it to yourself this, yeah. this time around. Was yeah. there a reason for that? Um... No, it would be similar to maybe even the incident in Ghana. I had the same feeling of just being violated and I just wanted to forget it. You wanted it to just disappear. Yeah, and I was in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm never going to let it happen again, so it's okay. So when you saw this recording, what made you act differently this time? I feel like I'd been violated by the same person twice. Yeah. And for me, that was never going to happen. Um, and I was older, I was stronger. Yeah. I had a boyfriend at the time. And I was so vocal on what I believe in. At the, mm. Even at 16, you couldn't shut me up. No one could tell me nothing. So I took it to my mum and I told her before I showed her the video and she did not believe me. And it was that day that I knew in my mind, she was my op. Now op, in for those that are you know, on the roads, means that she was my enemy from that day. So you're telling me you showed your mum these videos. I didn't show didn't her yet. Her. I told oh, her. You told her and she didn't and believe, she didn't believe me. So then I showed wow. her. Wow. Okay. So then... I think I went to church still and I came back. My mum told my dad and my dad, <laughs> my dad is not one to play with. Damn it, one day, I hope you can get him on this podcast. He's someone you want to talk to. <laughs> he ain't one to play with. He kicked him out there and then that day. Good. Yeah. But the issue that I had moving forward is that my dad didn't necessarily have a relationship with him, but my mum was still in contact with him. My mum still felt bad that, you know, he was out on his own and he didn't necessarily have somewhere to stay. And I would still have to see him once in a while where the family would maybe invite him into the house and shit. And I just thought, Look, you lot don't have my back because I ride so differently. If someone violated anyone that I know like that, you're either going to have to restrain me or lock me up. Because it's going to be a problem. Every time Every time I see you, it's so a problem. I can see that this clearly lies where you're resent with your mum is. Absolutely. And that's what it's been built on. Absolutely. But I would I would feel exactly the fucking same. I would never want to see that, that person ever again, and you shouldn't even have to. It wouldn't even be a question. So what, what, where were your thoughts and feelings around the time where your, your mum still kind um, of... We, we, from that moment, you know, we were not in a good place on top of the fact that, you know... I was in a disgusting, toxic, young love relationship to add insult to injury as well. And to to make that worse, I remember I'd come home one day and I was black and blue on my arms, my legs. And she saw it. And she was like, what happened? I was like, oh, I fell down. Who falls down and gets those kind of bruises all over their body? I was like purple, yellow, green, every colour you could think of. And... um. She just took my word for it when I said I fell down. 
Whereas I'd been beating the hell up. So, you know, I just, I struggled with maybe her lack of not diving into, you know, like asking more questions. And I get it, I was a teenager. Do you think she partially didn't want to feel that pain and didn't want to almost, felt like she didn't want to believe it was Absolutely. true because it was, it hurt her so much. Absolutely, 100%. And You've I know, know, that's, that's, know that. that's a legit feeling. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even though that's probably not the right feeling to have, yeah. but as humans, we can't control what we're feeling at the time. Everyone Absolutely. responds differently. And you were, this was a fir the first toxic relationship you'd endured. Yeah, the first one. And you, at that point, you would think you'd want your mum again. Right. So this was the third time that you fully needed your mum and she wasn't there for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my mind, that's how I felt. Yeah. It took me a long time to understand her and her personality and maybe also respect the fact that she's maybe been through some things in her life that have caused her to be a bit more closed off as well. See, this is the thing, um, that tough love that we get from our parents. Mm. It's it's their their way of parenting in a sense and we have to forgive them almost because... We definitely do. It's not their fault for only knowing what they know. Absolutely. They don't know more than what they know yeah. to parent us yeah. with that. And for sure. even though it hurts saying that, we have to offer them forgiveness. Yep. And it's the hardest thing because as as you as we both said, we need our parents the most when things get bad. 100%. God, when I've gone through shit and I've been crying out for my mum and she hasn't been here, mm. that's the person you want the most. It's mm. automatic. Mm. So I completely feel you. But when your mum's alive mm. and you're not getting that from her, that fuck, that hurts. It does. Hence the fighting so much and the lack of respect I had for her. You wouldn't believe the relationship we have today. She's one of my best friends. We're sisters. So, before we get to that, I'm going to talk mm. about the turning point of how you managed to rebuild that relationship with your mum. Mm. When did you get pregnant with Isaiah? Ooh, my special baby. Um, I got pregnant in 2012. Yeah, because I had him that same year. Yeah, 2012, I gave birth in November. I was, I remember, I think he was conceived around Valentine's Day, somewhere, somewhere around that. And you know, it's funny because I tell you what, <laughs> the mind has an amazing way of playing tricks on you. It allows you to rewrite history in a way it never happened. For years, if you used to ask me about that whole, that whole time mm. of as I being conceived, I could have given you a love story. Now, when I sit down and I look and I've, I've opened up, 
little did I know that that situation was nothing what I, I thought it was at the time. I was in a bad place. I'd already just tried to commit suicide. Um, the relationship was rocky anyway. It wasn't picture perfect. So prior to you getting pregnant and yeah. having the suicidal thoughts, well, you said you tried mm. to commit suicide. Did you have any therapy or do anything about what happened to you in your childhood? I did. I, I went through counselling when I was in secondary school. And I remember, I remember. I think my mum knew. I don't think my dad might have known. Mum was just like, what do you need counselling for? Little wow. did I know I needed more than that, boy. Um, I went through a little bit of counselling then. And then, obviously, I left secondary school. And then I never had counselling again. Um, Lord knows it's something that I feel like if I had had consistently throughout my late teens into my early 20s, I'd be a different person today. So yeah, no, when I when I got to Leicester and I was um, obviously free, we're young, we can do what we want to do. At the time I'd left uni, I was working full time in Birmingham, but living in Leicester. Um, you know, live, we're living. You feel like you're a proper adult. Yeah. Doing adult things. And then um, Isaiah's dad broke, I remember he broke up with me. And I don't know why I've been through worse in my life. And it's never taken me to a point where I didn't want to be here no more. But Girl, him... I'm telling you, why do you guys do this to I us? don't get it. The only time I ever tried to commit suicide was when I was leaving a guy that was beating me. Right. You know, I hear you. And I don't know why. I don't get it's it. It's that emotional toxicity that they portray mm -mm, onto us. Mm -mm, and they make mm -mm. you feel like a bag of shit. I don't get it. Like his dad, I can't lie. His dad was lovely. We had a lovely relationship when it was good. We went through that period. But... I don't know why him leaving, I felt like I didn't want to live anymore. It's that heartbreak. I was like, man, come on, Winner, you better shake this shit off. You are bigger than this. What? <laughs> but he was, it was the biggest love I I'd ever experienced, obviously, at the time. And even looking back now, it's 100% what I would call that young love yeah. at its finest. Mm -hmm. Anyone that knew us at the time would probably describe it like that. So, and we were intertwined. I spent every single day with him for a year and a bit. So him walking out, yeah, that was it. I tried to cut myself with a knife in the kitchen. That was not working. So I had loads of slashes all over my hands, but not deep enough to do any real damage. Mm. So I thought, ah, I'm the local pharmacy. Let me just take all the pills that I have. So I took all the pills that I had and I just swallowed the lot. But I tell you what, clearly I did not want to die because I sent a message out to all my girls. And I remember sending a message saying, Do you know, what? I love you guys. I can't, I can't remember actually, I might have to ask the girls what I actually said, but I think it must've been along the lines of, I love you guys and I'm sorry and blah, blah, blah. And um, sometimes it's like a cry for help. Almost. It is, it most definitely it's is. It's that last cry that you need yeah. in order to, to really turn your life a around. A turning point, it's a, Absolutely. it's a massive turning point. It really is, it really is. So I took, I took that, sent that message. I was in and out, in and out, in and out. I don't really remember much. Uh, all I remember is being in the hospital. Um, next, after that, to be honest, I don't remember what happened after that. I remember being in the hospital. I remember being on suicide watch for a little bit by the hospital. I remember um, coming home and my flatmate, bless her, um, trying to do salt baths for me. Um, just to every, they were trying to do everything they could just to help me get into a better mindset. But I just remember getting in the bath and my hands being on fire because of the way I'd slashed them mm. or tried to anyway. And then um, a couple months later, I got pregnant. 
like maybe three three months later, if that too. Two months back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did he feel? Oh, huh. Um, I did. I I didn't want to do it. You didn't. No. Um, I didn't want to do it. And what was the reason for that? Was it because you were no longer with? Um, no, dad? because we were back together. We were at back that together. Point. I didn't want to do it because I had just got into a really good job that potentially, you know, I was 20 at the time, you know, earning <laughs> earning what I did almost seven years later. Mm. Um, so I was earning well. I was living, you know, in my own place. I, did, I, did, I felt like it wasn't the right time and I felt I couldn't do it. Even though anyone, anyone and everyone will tell you all I've ever wanted to do is be a mum and be married. But something in me was just like, you're not ready. And I remember telling, obviously, my closest friends, I'll never forget, I found out I was pregnant at a house party. Mm. <laughs> um, I remember telling some of my friends and Isaiah's, who his, now his godfathers are, one of them in particular was like, come on, man, you and Isaiah's dad, you've got this. Like, if two people are going to do this, it's going to be you two. You two got that real love. Um and I was like, yeah, we do. Like, if I, if I would do it with anyone, it would be him. This is a man I want to marry anyway. Mm. Um, so after getting that word, those words of encouragement from a, our mutual friend, but his friend mainly, I went back to Isaiah's dad and he was encouraging. And he was like, look, I'll do whatever you want to do. I've got your back. I'd already booked in my abortion. So you'd booked the yeah, abortion? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd already booked it Did in. you feel any type of way about keeping the baby this time? Did you have a mental battle with it? Were you swerving towards one decision more than the other? No, I really was not going to do this, you know. Okay. Yeah, I really was not going to do it. I, ju- I just felt like I couldn't. And then I woke up one morning and I thought, are you crazy? You can't do this. You love this man. This is a baby made out of pure love. Are you joking? And I was like, yeah. And I'd already had an abortion once. Yeah. When I was a bit younger. And I, I, I was like, I can't go through that again. And the guilt that you feel when you do it anyway. And the, I was like, okay, let's do this. And, you know, it's the best thing. It's the best thing I ever did. Because without Isaiah, I don't know where I would be. I'm not joking. Talk me through the pregnancy. Was it a nice pregnancy? Were you happy? Did you suffer with um, any kind of depression throughout? The pregnancy Whether, was, was there any resentment about keeping no. Mm-mm. Once I decided to have him, that was it. Nothing else came into my mind ever again. So, talk to me about the postnatal depression that you experienced. That was a build up. So, the pregnancy was was rough in the sense where I vomited every day, all day. So that was rough. But then, everything else about it was great. Like I was physically quite healthy. I was good in the beginning. It was nice because I was still living in Leicester with his dad. And then I realized very quickly I needed to move back home. So obviously I moved back home and then had to tell my parents, <laughs> tell an African parent you're pregnant at 20 and not married. Oh boy, that's a story for another day. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but they were amazing. They had my back from the second it flew out of my mouth, which was something I wasn't expecting. But then um, Isaiah's dad kind of just disappeared on me a little bit. He was still in Leicester. I was in London, the communication wasn't there. We were struggling through previous problems we had were now coming, resurfacing again. And all I wanted was my family. So I mentally went into a very dark place. My mum will tell you, she watched me cry almost every night 
for months. Did you know what was happening at the time? Did you know what postnatal depression nah, was? Nah. Did you understand? Did you read up on it? Did Mm-mm. you try and self-diagnose it? Mm-mm. I'll tell you what, yeah. But everyone that was around me when I was pregnant will tell you. Marwina knew every single thing about pregnancy. There was nothing I wasn't ready for yeah. apart from when you give birth and your vagina's on fire. That ring of fire shit, I'm telling you now, ladies, that I did not know. But everything else I had on lock except the mental health. See, that's interesting. Because after I gave birth, obviously I was grieving, but I suffered with postnatal depression mm-hmm. and I didn't understand what it was. I just mm-hmm. was like, oh, no, 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 you're just grieving about it. Mm-hmm. But it lasted a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And then I had to understand that it was that. And it's, yeah. you can still get it, you yeah. know, when the baby's not here, mm-hmm. you know? So all those hormones built up inside you. Absolutely. But it's confusing and I think people underestimate mental health. They, they do. And I think in the culture that I come from, let's be honest. If you have mental health, they think you've been cursed. Somebody has cursed you and you've gone mad. Not that you actually maybe have. <laughs> no, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. I'm saying it how it is. And my community will back me. Okay? It's just something that, you know, we're now tapping into properly. Yeah. But for a long time, it wasn't you. respected as an illness. And that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, oh, you need to man up. You need to, what's wrong with you? I remember I used to take sleeping tablets a lot. Um, I don't know why. Um, I think I was depressed when I was like a teenager or something. I don't know what I was doing. And my mum used to find them and just throw them and be like, you don't need this. Absolutely. Throw them in the rubbish. Absolutely. It's not good to eat properly, eat healthy food and you'll be fine, you sleep well. And that's it, done. <laughs> but mum, I can't that's sleep. It, no, done. you eat healthy food. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear you, they don't get it. They're Do you know what it is? It's because they've been through their own thing and I get it. You know, when I when my, think of my dad and him trekking through Germany and Poland when he was a young, you know, adult going through God knows what and people were racing. He's thinking, listen, I've been through it, man. Come on, man up. And my dad yeah. treated me like a boy. So I didn't know. And I feel like my it's interesting because even though my mum is in healthcare, I don't think, I, I, I genuinely, until I became an adult, me and I had a real conversation one day and she said to me, Wina, I just, I look at you to be so strong I admire that about you, that it makes me a little bit stronger. So in her mind, I genuinely feel like she felt, there's no way this girl can be going through that. Yeah. Because she's got this. Yeah, but you laugh a lot of things off like I do. I turn everything into a joke. I find things funny. No, 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 that's your thing, mate. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) But then I put on this character and this strength. Yeah. And sometimes I'm not not dealing with it correctly in the right way. Yeah. But we all have these ways of dealing with these things. Yeah. So when you found out that it was postnatal depression. What mm. did you do? What did you did you take it upon yourself to start therapy? No, I didn't do I didn't do anything for you a didn't while. Do anything. Mm-mm. I didn't do anything on, for a while. After as I was born, I got this certain amount of strength that came out of nowhere. Like I was just, I mean, I'm a dragon by day anyway, but I became a dragon by night. <laughs> okay? I was <laughs> I was so on it. I was thinking, "All right, I got a kid, yeah." Haha. <laughs> no. Now I'm that mum that you don't want to mess with. So I wasn't taking no shit from no one. So I was okay for a while. Well, I say a while, a week. And then I ended up in hospital because part of the placenta had been left inside me, which then became infected. And it happened to be the first time my mum and dad had ever left me. They were going to visit someone. I was left home with Isaiah. And just like that, boom, instant fever. I couldn't carry him. He felt like he weighed an elephant. He was a week old. and it was only until later that I realized that, you know, I almost died. I didn't even know. I had no wow. clue until later. So after that happened, and then the back and forth still with me and Isaiah's dad, all my friends were still at uni doing their thing. 
I didn't know what I was gonna do and then I just went downhill again, man. And um, I remember telling my mom I need to talk to someone. So I reached out to um, um, a counselor at a church. Yeah. And as you do, I don't know if anyone can relate, but you do counseling for two sessions and you think, yeah, I'm good now. And that's it. It doesn't work like that, It doesn't guys. work like that. <laughs> it comes up later down. It sure did. But you need to, <laughs> the thing with, with therapy and counseling, whatever you want to call it, you need to stay consistent with it. But mm-hmm. you also need to make sure you're with the right therapist. You're mm-hmm. talking to the right person and it's doing something for you. If you feel like it's not, then yeah. you stop and you try a different alternative. There's CBT, there's, yeah. there's loads of different things you can do. And I think for me, I went through about six different people, you know, until I found the right one. And even to this day, I'm on and off with therapy. Yeah. But I have my own ways of dealing with it. So mm. talk me through a side therapy. Mm-hmm. What have you done in your own way that helps you get through your mind and how, helps you battle your mind? Like yeah. what really gives you the best, strongest mindset? How I get out of my mind is two things. It's music and it is art. I draw. Um, I love that. Yeah. It's, See, it's, it's the creativity. It is. It stops your mind and it takes it to another it place. It has to. You can't do both. And so in not being able to do both, one side is quiet for once. That's why you always want to come to mine and use my canvas. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why I'm always trying to go to her house. I'm trying to go there because it's quiet. I get a canvas and I can just draw or paint. And in those moments, I don't have to worry or the think about real anything. Talk, when you're not having that pen and you're not having that paintbrush in your hand, mm. are you still struggling now? Does does what happened to you in your childhood and in your teens and mm. does it affect you still to this day? Absolutely. But I <laughs> I make people's business my business and that's how I stay good. What and do you I, mean? <laughs> well, you know, I, I used to get the nickname Agony Aunt from when I was a kid, uh, right? Okay. So being able to help other people has always been my biggest shield. I I believe I am that person in my friendship group. I would like to think that is a good sounding board that you know you can lean on. Yeah. That no matter what happens, I will find a way to give you an answer that will help you through what you got going, so got Mo, going on. So Mo, you basically turned your suffering into helping others with Absolutely. their own pain. 100%. From I young. love that. Do you feel like you've come out stronger? Absolutely, 100%. I feel like saying these things out loud, I mean, as as a woman, it's hard enough um, in the but society that we're in today. A million percent. No one speaks about Mm-mm. sexual abuse. Mm-mm. No one speaks about rape. We feel Mm-mm. like we don't have a mouth to talk about it nope. because we feel like we're getting judged. We feel like no one's gonna believe us. Yep. It's the worst feeling to have inside Absolutely. you to keep inside. Absolutely. And you, by speaking your truth today, you're going to be helping so many fucking women. I hope so. So many. I hope so. And I want to ask you, mm. what is your battle cry? What is your mantra to get you through life? <laughs> that was um, this time. I don't know, for goodness sake, man. I, would, I don't remember how old I would have been, but I was at home writing lyrics, man. I thought I was that girl. I thought I could do it all. Anything to do with the arts, I felt I could do it. I was writing lyrics and um, I would have been young. I can't remember. And one of the lyrics was, what you put in is what you get out. And I remember singing it to my dad. And my dad was like, this is amazing. Oh, this is this is what you need to know and what you need to believe. What you put in <laughs> is what you get out. So if you put this in, you will get this out. And that stuck with me for a lifetime to the extent where he says it to me to this day. I'm like, you two, old man, can you let this go? Let this go. (laughs) And genuinely, out of all the quotes I've heard over the years, that is 
100% the one that sticks to me. Because it works with work, it your works mental with everything. health, your it self-love, works with everything. your self-care, every single thing. Whatever you put into something you get out. is what you get out in one way or another. Whether you put it in negatively, it's coming back, baby, like a bitch. A million percent. Okay? <laughs> so I, I think that's what definitely has has helped me in some of my darkest times. I'm like, okay, if I can push through and, and put a lot of positive shit out there, which is me helping yeah. whoever I can. Yeah. it And it does always come back in one way or another. It I've always indeed. got healing through people. Then that's exactly what I say all yeah. the time. Yeah, Mo, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, literally, you are so inspirational. <laughs> You're my friend, but to hear you come out of everything that you've gone through on a closer, deeper level, yeah, boy. it's like, well, I would never have thought. But honestly, just thank you so much. Um, what have you got coming up? Anything coming up? Anything you want to plug um, on, on here? Anything you want to just... Do you know what? I'll, I'll be real with you. I don't know, but just know I'm finna do it all. Give me your Instagram okay? handle. Give me your Instagram handle. It's mo.mens. M-O. You interview some brilliant people. You have some funny lives. I you do. I, I do. I do some lives on my Instagram, but more than anything, I all I know is that in this lifetime, my job is to help people on a massive scale. And it's to have a genuine moral like um, message behind what I'm putting out there. There's yeah. a lot of people that are talking shit out here in these streets, let's be honest. And none <laughs> of them hold themselves accountable to, in regards to, they say what they say and then they rebuttal. They go about their business. I want to be able to say what I'm saying and say it with my chest knowing that it's coming from a place that you can place grow. Of love. And place yeah. of love. So... Watch out for me, man. I'm going to be out here in these streets, man. <laughs> Thank you so much, <laughs> man. Thanks for having me, girl. And I'll be speaking to you soon. Of course, man. So, guys, it's that time of the week again. Thank you for everybody tuning in. And thank you so much for listening to Battles. We'll be back next week for another chance to hear from someone amazing and to understand their own personal battle. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Battles. If you've been affected by anything you have heard in the show, you can find links to support services in the description. Please subscribe to the show and leave us a review too. It makes all the difference. Battles is a Studio 71 production and is hosted by me, Marlon Anderson. I'll see you next time.